there you are. Hello, we're early. I, who knew? Like a whole minute early. It's because we missed each other so much. I know. A whole, was it like two weeks? No, I was, it was gone, then I was back, then I was gone, and now I'm back. Okay. Did you have fun? Work is always fun. Oh, good. So you got to work with hockey players? It's been a crazy fall, but in all the best ways. Yes. Good crazy is good. Good crazy is good for me. Yay. How have you been? How am I doing? Yes. Is that what you said? Yeah. Is it glitchy? I don't know. It was either the computer or my ears could go either way. (laughs) I'm plugged into the wall, so hopefully it's not glitchy. No, we did a two-day practicum for people who had taken the core on video. Yeah. And we had one person from Oregon, one person from Washington. They came from New York, Louisiana, California, all over the country. The room is perfect. So my next task is to get window shades and signs. And we can do a class of 30 people in that room on the website. I think we should list the restaurants and a picture across the street because there's this really amazing like burrito and taco shop downstairs. They make everything fresh. And then there's a pizza place across the way that has gluten-free crust and prosciutto and sausage and gyre cheese on a gluten-free crust with a balsamic glaze drizzle. Somebody told me they got a pizza with that on it. And I was like, okay, I want to do that. We had a great time. It's the supine cervical. We had two MDs, two physical therapists, two chiropractors, two massage therapists, and the supine lumbar practicum. So just for people who haven't taken the practicum, no, JJ, we're early. You're not way late. We do the supine cervical practicum three times, and there are three people at each table so that everybody gets a chance to do the supine cervical once. And they look at me, huh? And it's because that's the money shot. That is 70%, 80% of your practice comes in and needs something done with their headaches or their neck. Then we do the supine neck and shoulder, which is more physically difficult because you're getting your fingers in somebody's armpit. And then the supine lumbar is the third one. And then in the afternoon, there's supposed to be a a freebie, whatever you want to do. But the supine lumbar always ends up being visceral. Yeah. So we had ureter and kidney. We had ovarian cysts and adhesions in the abdomen she didn't know she had. As always, it was just really fun. The two-day practicums are so fun. And it's wonderful doing them in the clinic. So we had a great time. And true to form, you have so many things I need to unpack with that last We've been at it for two minutes and I already need to unpack the last two minutes of what you just said. And the thing I missed the most about not having you here was we didn't have a quote to start it out with. So I couldn't even derail the train because I just started the train on whatever track. So we're looking forward to the quote. (laughs) Do you have a quote? I have a couple quotes. One of them is an epiphany that I had, and it's not really an epiphany because it's very simple, but it's something I want to share more towards the practitioners that are listening for this one segment. So we talk about multiple machines all the time and busier you are, the busier your practice is, and the busier your brain becomes, you need multiple machines. and. As much as I love to keep the train on the track and be very specific with my intent and my focus of the treatment, 
you have no choice but to start going lateral and start seeing all the different possibilities. This is the whole, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. We're, we're well, that. And at the practicum for the first time ever, since the class was so small, we had nine people, three tables, and I have four custom cares for the clinic. And so we programmed the four custom cares for, I think, subacute disc for each table when we were doing supine cervical. So you're working on the upper cervical facets and repairing the disc all at the same time. Yeah. We introduced right at the beginning the concept of get two things done at once. If the disc is what's causing the problem, treat the disc and the the lower cervical disc is why there's an upper cervical facet problem. Right. But this is one way of going in one direction. And okay, I work with athletes and I get highlight reels of their sport. I get the injury reel of how the injury happened. When you're dealing with normal patients or normal people, you still get the highlight reel, but they just verbally tell you what happened. So I have been trying to streamline my treatments as much as possible. And yes, that's when the custom care comes into play, because like you just said, you can run the disc, you can run 4089 on the background concussion in Vegas, just concussion, TTH, whatever. But the more savvy you get with the mode bank and cutting and pasting, because it's very easy now, the night before or the morning of, I've been making a customized little highlight reel to put on the custom care for the patient based on a lot of those things that I know I'm going to have to do a drive-by on. Here's what it looks like. So let's just say, I'll give you an example of somebody I'm treating who has, comes in, the main complaint is the typical anterior delt pain of the GH. Can't really specify a time where anything was torn or broken, but we pretty much know there was something there that created all of this. Has pretty good range of motion, but has a significant amount of pain. I know my highlight reel to something that I'm going to have to load on the custom care is going to have to deal with some sort of trauma, some sort of torn and broken. And even if I can just do a drive by on the relevant tissues I know are affected, like the periosteum, the bursa, the tendon, joint surface for a minute each, it is unbelievable how fast I can expedite results just by putting on a little highlight reel like that in the background on one of the custom cares that would have been sitting there anyways. And speaking of highlight reel, when I said we went and got the custom cares and reprogrammed all of them, I was not remembering why we did that. We were doing the supine shoulder. Yes. And one of the practitioners said, because we were switching back and forth between scarring in the nerve and inflammation in the nerve. So you take the pain down with the inflammation in the nerve so you can get your fingers in their armpit and fix why the shoulder is sore. Right. One of the practitioners said, why wouldn't you program a custom care to just run 40 and 396 for the whole treatment? I'd never done that before. And I went, that's brilliant. Yeah. Went and grabbed three custom cares, programmed 40 and 396 polarized positive on all of them. We clipped it to the same towel around the neck, towel in the armpit, and 13 and 396 scarring in the nerve. So you take down the pain in the nerve so you can put your finger on the subscapular nerve and not have the patient levitate. And then you run scarring in the nerve and the whole thing went so much easier. It's like, why didn't I think of that? And I was shaking my head because you're, I would think after a certain amount of time, you wouldn't need it to run the whole treatment because the activity decreases or the inflammation decreases, the scar tissue decreases. But 
especially when you're treating something that is so highly innervated, like subscap, like the piriformis or the sciatic route, any of those pain generators, absolutely. Just keep the nerve quiet so it doesn't get to vote Yeah. as we rearrange the furniture. But you can't do that with just one machine. Oh, no. And it's not like I'm trying to sell machines, but there are times when it is an investment in productivity right. and investment in outcomes. So for $2,000, roughly, you can improve your productivity, improve your outcomes, and turn that patient into a marketing tool. Yeah. I've had this shoulder pain for six years and this physical therapist, chiropractor, massage therapist fixed it in three, four sessions. And everybody's been working on my shoulder and she put her fingers in my armpit. And then it. I'm going to one up you right there. I that had seen everybody under the sun for low, nondescript low back pain. Images, fine. MRI, fine. X-ray, fine. Range of motion, fine. Adjustments help. Treatment helps, but only for a day or two. It's the quintessential low back pain loopy patient. So to your point about the supine cervical is whatever you said, 75%. It's probably even higher than that. And here's why I couldn't get anything to do anything more than what I thought I was doing. So doing supine, lumbar, visceral, like everything I could think of. As ureter. Everything. Yeah. Scoring the appendix. I pulled that one out since I learned that one from myself. Just to see, nothing helped. I did thoracic and cervical range of motion, everything fine, no history of pain or trauma in the neck. But that little bird on my shoulder said, it's the dura. Oh, uh, duh. But even doing dura and doing lumbar, nothing changed. It was only when I was focusing on the dura of the suboccipits did the low back release. <sighs> and then I had this like flashback of sitting in my first advanced. And I think the message of that advance was follow the spark. And I was thinking, you idiot, the dura, go back to your basics, origin, insertion, innervation, and action. The dura doesn't just start and end in the lumbar spine. It goes completely all the way up to the head. So I just sat and did some cranial work and did some, I'm doing this with my hands because that's exactly, it's almost like a cat making, what do you call it when they make biscuits? And the person on the table was like, I just, for the first time in years, felt my low back release. I'm like, let's just sit here for a second. And everything turned to soup in the suboccipits. But again, follow the spark. Where it attaches, you have to think about this all the time because we don't just treat myopically anymore. Yeah. And in the low back is connected to the pelvis. Yes. And the way to test the dura in the low back. And I had a patient this week where that was the case. What she said was my body feels stiff. I checked her muscle tone. She was not 81 and 10. Her pectineus and brevis were not tight. My body feels stiff. Huh. So I brought her knee up and it stopped at 90 degrees. Right. And I thought to myself, it can't be this easy. I had already done the supine cervical on her. She loved that. So yeah. this was day two of five days. Went from her neck to her sacrum and ran scarring in the dura. Brought her knee to 90 degrees, 105, 110. External rotation. She couldn't externally rotate her left hip. External rotation, internal rotation, flexion. And she went, oh, I feel that in my low back. Mm -hmm. The reason nobody else besides our community thinks of it is nobody else has a way to treat it. 
No. And yeah, going back to the days where you didn't have it, you would do all your testing and you would want to ram your head through the wall because everything was symmetrical. So I would have no, especially when you're testing C-spine range of motion and there's no headaches, no restrictions, imaging looks great. Would you go up there and just sit for a moment and listen? And that's all you have to do is just listen to the patient's words. We talk about this all the time. They will tell you if you just listen with your ears and listen with your fingers. Yeah, exactly. And learning to listen with your fingers as well as your ears. And this patient had the distinction of being the most normal physical exam I have done in 29 years. Wow. Normal reflexes, no hyperesthesia. Normal sensation, no hyperesthesia, no numbness. Full range of motion everywhere. Facet compression, fine. All the lumbar supine tests, fine. And she had this enormous history of childhood emotional abuse and trauma. And it's, I'm thinking to myself, that's just concussion in Vegas and TTH. That's almost like cheating, right? So I ran concussion in Vegas and TTH and supine cervical. And she got up off the table an entirely different person. Her face was different. Her affect was different. She felt grounded. It It was amazing the big word the one my take home here is grounded that is such an important quality to have a patient leave your clinic and especially when you undo so many things I don't know if you have a favorite quick grounding one but I typically will do constitutional factors or which 6.8 and 38 or balancing the energy center sometimes if constitutional factors don't do it so 35 and 102 I don't know what those do But if I have a patient that's feeling floaty and disconnected, just a washcloth in each hand as they're sitting up, eyes on the horizon. And the big thing is 90, 90, 90. So ankles at 90, knees at 90, hips at 90 will also help ground somebody. But that you want them to feel safe in their body again. It's not just pain-free anymore. It's safe in that. Actually in their body. Yeah, that's what 6.8 and 38 tends to do. It tends to get people grounded. Louise is asking, what is TTH? That is that strange thing that I put in at the end of the pain section, the tendency to have weird stuff happen or bad things happen. The frequencies are for energetic influences that tend to make the patient experience pain, fear, negativity, abuse. It's like they seem to have a magnet that attracts bad stuff to them. That's TTH. And it's as close as we come to an FSM exorcism. And the directions for when you use it, you use this when the patient's history makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. That's TTH. Do we want to answer Denise's question? I don't have them open, but we could. Yeah. Why don't we jump right in there? Why not? Okay. I have a client who took some Topamax for a migraine and had an immediate reaction of super sensitive extremities. Stopped the meds, but even a week later has continued to have pain that is popping up all over her body at eight out of 10 jumps from her hands toes to her hands, not the legs and arms, move, switch to 81 and 77, and it's helping? Okay. I With Topamax, it's an anti-seizure medication, and it's like a different version of gabapentin or Lyrica. It works differently, but it's a, as far as I know about Topamax, it's an anti-seizure medication. I would have gone to toxicity and maybe 40 in the midbrain because that's where it works 81 and 77 increasing little bird said 20 and 77 which is pain reaction 
that helped immediately, but it's short term. And Denise says, yeah, she did 40 and 57, 900, 920 in the midbrain first, but it didn't help. It was no change. So she switched to 81 and 77. God bless the little bird, because that one wouldn't have occurred to me. I love the little bird. Connective tissue. I guess I would look up. I end up using my cell phone a lot for medication side effects. And I would look up the side effects of Topamax. So let's see if I can do that now. Weight loss, dizziness, numbness, allergic reaction, and there's 20 more. Fatigue, blood in the urine, blurred vision, diet. Okay. There's absolutely no side effect that suggests that the connective tissue is influenced. Weight loss, dizziness, numbness, allergic reaction, fatigue, trouble breathing, blood in the urine, great drug, blurred vision, diarrhea, eye pain, fever, memory problems, aggression, confusion, drowsiness, nausea, nervousness, stomach pain, bone, I have no idea. More common, burning, prickling, or tingling sensation, clumsiness or unsteadiness that is fascinating denise yeah i'm just wondering so if we're increasing secretions to the connective tissue i wonder if it's clumsy burning prickling or tingling sensations i'm assuming 40 and 10 didn't work either wow okay let's hear it for the little bird and for those of you that might have forgotten that part of the core, we talk about at some point usually that the course comes with a, a little bird that sits on your shoulder and says, I wonder if, and you almost immediately turn to the little bird and say, it couldn't possibly be that. And the little bird won't give up and says, just try it. Okay, fine. I'll try it. And then in this case, I have no idea where that helped. Yeah. In retrospect, when you have somebody where you suspect Euler's Danlos, then the migraine takes on a different perspective. Sometimes migraines aren't migraines. Recurrent or chronic migraines are an indication for a vagal nerve stimulator. It's one of the approved uses. People with Ehlers-Danlos have chronic vagal nerve dysfunction because every time they stand up with food in their stomach, they get a vagus nerve traction injury. <clears throat> the next time that patient comes in, do the nine baton points the thumb the little finger each elbow each knee and then can they touch their hands to the floor that's nine and if she has Euler's Danlos you treat 124 and 77 yeah treat Euler's Danlos I don't put in 81 and 77 because 124 and 77 works so well I think you're on the right track fascinating it is i'm i'm just sitting here thinking if you're increasing the secretions to the connective tissue why does that help it's it, i wonder if relieving torn and broken in the connective tissue is roughly equivalent to increasing secretions in the connective tissue in order to get it to bind closer together I use 124 and 77 because torn or broken in the connective tissue and Ehlers-Danlos because it's the first thing I used because they have connective tissue that's torn and broken all the time. Right. And so I kept using it. I've just never tried 81 and 77. You do 40 and 10 for the body pain and 124 and 77 and then increase secretions in the vagus. Interesting. Thank you, Denise.
and I, tell your little bird thank you. Yeah, and I do eighty-one seventy-seven following a one twenty-four because again, that's it's not the bird; it's Roger Bilka that right. you're talking about putting in the good and taking out the bad. Both of them have to always happen for a successful treatment. So if I think about treating scarring, I think about treating torn and broken, that's pulling stuff out. And then I have to put stuff back in. That's how it looks. That's the thing I enjoy the most about FSM is it makes you look for things that nobody else looks for because we have a tool that lets us treat things that nobody else can treat. That's hilarious that you say that because I had texted Kevin my quote and I'm not sure if you said it and it was look for what you notice, but no one else sees. We should put that someplace on a slide. Look for what you notice, but no one else sees. They don't see it because they don't look for it. And they don't look for it because they don't have a way to treat it. Totally. We look for 40 and 10 because we have a way of treating it. We look for Ehlers-Danlos. One of the practitioners in this practicum this weekend said that he has Ehlers-Danlos patients coming in all the time now because he's looking for it and he finds it. So these are patients with chronic neck pain, chronic low back pain, chronic joint pain, and nobody else looks for Ehlers-Danlos, especially the milder forms, the hypermobility syndrome forms. Nobody else looks for it because nobody else can treat it. Why would you look for it? Right. Right? And for us, it's, it's so simple. So somebody suggested that we do a patient practicum weekend where we put out a call to patients on an Ehlers-Danlos network and have six patients come in and twelve invite 12, as many as 12 practitioners, collect the data on those six patients and we have a case report that we can publish. Yeah. Fantastic. Wouldn't that be cool? Yes. That would be a good thing to do in the winter in Trotdale when it's raining and it's we're bored. That would be good. You never <laughs> Oh Kate Adams. Would it increase the jealous substance, the um substance and the connective tissue to decrease the fibrous connection to give more movement that's what I was thinking so when in the sports advance like when we talk about increasing strength we increase the secretions to the fascia and the connective tissue Mm -hmm. sarco something if it's the sarcomere sarcoplasma or sarcolemma who knows but I think it's accumulation of 81 and and those three for that very reason, because part of it is the mechanical properties of increasing that. And part of that is the neurophysiological increase because the impulse has to travel through that sarcomere and sarcoplasm and sarcolemma. So that gelatinous matrix of ground substance kind of infiltrates everywhere. That's where my brain was going, but I wasn't sure. And I'd love to find someone who knows the traveling under the fascia guy. Oh, yes. I can't pronounce his name, but I have scrolling under the skin, scrolling under the skin. Wouldn't you love to get a video of what's going on when we run increased secretions in the fascia? Right. Because you have a neck that's already pudding and I keep expecting increasing secretions in the fascia. It's the last thing we do. Yeah. I keep expecting it to make the fascia firm up. Yeah. And instead, it makes it more soft. It, yeah. Like I said, it's floof. Instead yeah. of swoosh, it's floof. And I can't explain it any other way. It's, it's tactile. Because it's not firm. It's just beautiful. Exactly. It's an incredible feeling if you have good manual therapy skills to feel that because. And it's always so much fun to have MDs in the course because they're not trained in physical medicine. And we spend the first two practicums in physical medicine and they're always intimidated 
by, I don't know how to palpate. And one of these two MDs was a pain specialist. So she knew spinal anatomy, I'd say better than I did. The other one was an internist and the internist was totally intimidated. And I said, wait a minute, when you were a resident, did they teach you and make you insert a a central line? She did. Yeah, sure. Okay. At which point you have better palpation skills than I do because I couldn't put in a central line if you threatened me. So it's the same kind of palpation. If you press too hard, you're going to blow right past it. You're feeling for an artery. Oh, okay. So you take skills that people already have and let them transfer those skills into this arena. And I think we do the same thing with practitioners thinking processes. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, at least at the end of the cord, that 40 and 10, that inflammation in the spinal cord will create full body pain and pain specifically in the bottom of the feet. Nobody else thinks of that. Right. But because we have that tool, when a patient circles the bottom of her feet and doesn't walk, has no reason to have plantar fasciitis, you can press on the bottom of her feet and there's no palpatory pain, but the bottom of her feet burn, what would you run? 40 and 10. Right. So it's, I love watching the thought process expand among our practitioners as they get more and more confident And the greatest part is that it's safe. It's just not going to do anything if you're wrong. So it's like anything. You're not going to try something new if you're scared, right? We have to create safety for everybody in that room, safety for the patient and safety for the practitioner to have a hypothesis that's absolutely ludicrous in a lot of people's worlds, (laughs) True, but to try it, right? And Like you said, and the worst that's going to happen is like nothing. It's going to be like, ah, that didn't work. I was wrong. What else is occurring? Where else could that whatever be happening? And that was where I followed the Dura. I'm like, it is the Dura. I know it. But nothing is being sticky. Nothing is being limited in the lumbar spine. Follow the Dura. Where does the Dura go? It's essential of opening up netters when you're looking in the abdomen and being like, what else is over there? And if you think about it, your intuition was correct. But as you do post-game analysis, and you think about the fact that the dura is tight and the dura attaches just inside the ileums on the sacrum down to the coccyx. If the dura is adhered, is the pelvis going to move the sacrum? No. If the pelvis doesn't move as the patient walks and the dura takes the hit, the lumbar spine has to rotate in order for the patient to walk and the dura is stuck. So where are you going to feel the pain? The lumbar facets. In retrospect, it makes perfect sense. In retrospect. But you had to follow intuition and the little bird and nothing else worked. And the lumbar exam was normal. So it has to be something else. What else could it be? Right. That is so cool. But what what taught me to actually be able to go there probably faster than I would have is being able to treat the vagus nerve. Oh, yeah. Because we sometimes treat it. I treat scarring in the vagus during a supine cervical. All the time. Scarring in the vagus doing a supine lumbar when I'm doing visceral and and diaphragm work. It's right away that thinking of where else does this go? 
the dura is not just in the lumbar spine, it's in the entire spine. And just because it's not showing up in an exam doesn't mean there hasn't been accommodations and modifications. And it doesn't mean that it's still not being affected. Just we haven't seen it yet. Like everything else in the body. Isn't that amazing? Cool. Okay. We have another Another question. When doing a protocol from neck to feet, if we're using sticky pads instead of wet towels, how do you place the leads on the feet? One lead on each foot. Yes. Or do both leads need to be on one foot? Hi. I made it through the course with my brain hurts. <laughs> I put one lead on each foot if I'm using sticky pads. So if you've got a wrap around the neck to pick up the whole dura, yeah. or if you have to use sticky pads, you have to use the large ovals way at the top. Yeah. Try and keep them out of the hair and recognize you're only going to get to use them once yeah. because the back of the neck is oily. And then one sticky pad, a black one and a yellow one, one on each foot, on the bottom of each foot, usually at the ball of the foot. So that works. So I have one patient that wants to use sticky pads when she gets home. She has post-herpetic neuralgia, hmm. T4, 5, and 6. And the best we could do, I talked about her last week. It's what do you do when you're the patient's last hope? And you can't get it done. Right. You couldn't get her pain-free. She's 71. She's had PHN for two years. During the treatment, I could get six, five, and four normal. T3 was hyperesthetic. Eventually, we got T3 to be quiet, but T4, just along the medial breast, was hypersensitive hmm. and that's what bothered her the most so she ended up buying a custom care and sticky pads so she could wear it during the day for whatever reason she's pain-free at night it's good so combination of a custom care she bought a magnetic converter so she could treat herself at night and somebody had given her lidocaine in an ointment she didn't want to get her t-shirts gooey. And I said, there's lidocaine and cream. So I wrote out what she should take to her MD. And it's a combination. She said the lidocaine helped, but I couldn't do it because it, I didn't want to ruin my clothes. So acupuncture hadn't helped. Medication she doesn't tolerate. FSM and whatever it takes, right? And very beautifully, you just steered us into another direction I wanted to talk about today was when you get overwhelmed as a patient and you get overwhelmed as a practitioner, that overwhelming sensation typically tends to be when we go too far in the future and wanting too much too soon. The chronic pain patient that's at a nine out of 10 all the time wants to be a zero and you want them to be a zero, but we have to understand that even though results can happen very quickly, you, you have to go just mile by mile, right? It's Kevin's thing about how do you need an elephant, right? One bite at a time, or you just do the next thing, do the next thing. Do the next thing. And so I, I have to keep that also in my head too, because I get very excited and very eager. And I was thinking the other day on one of my long runs, if I would set out when I left my house to think I'm going to run 15 miles right now. And I think about how far 15 miles is very overwhelming. Yeah. But you don't do that when you do a long run, you just go mile by mile. And this mile number one is going to make mile number two better. And mile number two is going to make mile number three, but, and so on and so forth. So I really implore the practitioners that get super overwhelmed to dial it just back. And if you just start thinking, what can I do right now in this moment to get the patient out of pain? That should always be the very first question. Whether or not it's going to hold, that goes down the line. But if the patient comes in with so much pain and so much emotional energy about the pain, you have to diffuse that bomb first. And the 
trick with this patient and so many of the chronic pain patients is there are two ways to approach this. Paying attention to what's left and paying attention to what changed. So when you leave, you're a three. You haven't been a three in two years. It doesn't last. And it's the hyperesthesia that she minds the most. Yeah. I haven't been able to fix that yet. But if your resting pain is a three, that's better than a seven. Absolutely. Which one are you going to pay attention to? That's when we started talking about her history of trauma. Mm. And I said, usually patients who pay attention to what's left and really mind the pain usually have a history of trauma. Tell me what's your life like. Right. And that's when, yeah, there was two husbands that died right in front of her. So all of her trauma was as an adult. Wow. Okay. So then 40 and 89 and concussion in Vegas became every treatment. So that helped. Leaf said, what do you think of increasing secretions in the cartilage for floofing cartilage? Seems to me that David Murphy did a presentation where he took a knee that was set for a knee replacement, bone on bone, no cartilage on the MRI. And six or eight weeks later, the knee was floofed. The cartilage was, there was space in the knee. Can't hurt, might help. I've always found it to be, and I've tried that for the longest time with like arthritic knees and ankles and an aging population. I even have a younger hockey player that is undergoing testing because they can't figure out why he doesn't have cartilage in his knees. I've tried it, but it's only been short term. Like nothing has ever lasted and definitely no objective measures to to show, but it hasn't been long term. So I love the idea though of increasing the secretions to the cartilage. And in the knee, especially my favorite so far has been 124 and the meniscus 214. 14, yeah. and broken in the meniscus. I don't know what that's doing, but I went from not being able to put weight on my left knee, not being able to straighten my left knee to my left knee is completely pain-free and I can walk fine. You know what I think of it as? I think of it like running 124 in the annulus because the meniscus develops those micro fractures or those micro tears over time. Mm -hmm. If you're increasing secretions to those tears, um, or if your brain torn and broken to those tears, it would only make sense. It makes perfect sense. Derek says, what is 49 add? 49 has become a drive-by for me, and I know you use it a lot, so talk to me. I'm not sure how it works. I know that I love it, especially with the fascia, increasing the vitality to the fascia. So I don't, but I'll run it like in conjunction with 81. So I don't know if increasing the secretions and increasing the vitality to the area does anything. I do think about the little water molecule going through the fascia. So if I think about the vitality, I just think about just increasing the energy to the area. I don't know how it works. You never told us how it works, but just historically, I I do absolutely love running 49. Um, And to tell the truth and Leaf will understand this, I run 49 at the end because Harry said so. (laughs) And then George said so. And it's a secretions where it's appropriate and 49 at the end why because harry said so isn't the best answer in the world because you don't really know what vitality is exactly but and the, the little picture i have in the core when you see it right yeah here um, in george i think 49 might be time dependent oh okay Again, running it in the connective tissue and the fascia for as long as I have, just because sometimes I've just admittedly forgot about it on one of the machines and things have changed. I'm like, I wonder just, so instead of doing the drive-by, it's maybe a bit longer. I don't know. And that phrase, I wonder if, 
that's the thing that the little bird says most often. I wonder if, what would happen if, huh? Be sure? No. (laughs) Let Liz be honest, right? That is exactly it. Are you sure? Not at all. No, Mm -hmm. I have have no idea if this is going to work. Yeah. And it, there every class, even the two-day practicums, I love two-day practicums, by the way. We have had 350 people take the five-day core on video. And we have not had 350 people come and take a two-day practicum. Um, Some of them work with practicum instructors around the country. But every single class at some point, usually during the practicum, I look at people earnestly and say, you understand? Dan, we make this stuff up, right? Now, I've learned to call it a thought experiment. Yeah. That's better than telling people that I make stuff up. But it's a thought experiment. Yeah. Right? JJ says 81 and the synovium makes the knee glide better and smoother. That makes sense because the synovial tissue secretes the fluid that makes things slippery and glidey inside the knee i like that right i want to go back to time dependent how did you find out that 124 was time dependent kathleen kasbin she's coming to the advance this year i'm so excited i had torn my achilles i'd been on avalox on and off for two years i had leviquin for pneumonia, I had Cipro. So all of the precursors, I'm walking along the street and no, that isn't how I tore it. It was after I got my left hip replaced, my gait changed and my left Achilles got sore in January and I started treating it for inflammation. Torn and broken wasn't even on the radar. I didn't even think of it because it's inflamed and then it got more and more inflamed january we're now into december and kathleen was helping me work on at a4m at the exhibit and we had a free two hours and i said can you work on my achilles was two thumbs thick and exquisitely painful This was back when we were still using graphite gloves. It was 2009. And Kathleen puts the gloves on and wets them. And she said, ooh, this feels icky. Okay. And she puts 124 and 191 because the Achilles is a round tendon. And I didn't know what she was running. And I said, wow, that feels warm. It doesn't hurt. Pain went down right away. And then we sat there and talked and she did what we all do. As long as the frequency is working, you stay on it. So she's talking about kids and travels and life and whatever. And pretty soon an hour has gone by. And at the end of the hour, my Achilles was the size it should be. It was completely pain-free. And I was stunned. Okay. And I did what she told me. I put a pillow at the foot of my bed. I kept my foot this way. I did all the other things. And we had done all the other things all year long. And that's when I found out it was time dependent. The pain goes down. You run torn and broken. Connective tissue around tendons. David Musnick uses torn and broken in the small intestine for 60 minutes in the leaky gut program. And the pain goes down in the shoulder, for example, in two to three to four minutes. But as soon as you start using the tendon that has partial thickness tear, pain goes back up. So I've, connected my magnetic converter and put it on a precision carrier, which will run, I think, four hours before it turns itself off. 
and I run it all night. And in the morning, I woke up and my shoulder didn't hurt. So almost virtually everything we know with FSM has come through trial and error. Yeah. You do a thought experiment. You make a guess. You treat. It works. Huh. If I do the same thing in the same kind of patient, will that work? And that works. Huh. And then you do it again. And once I've done it four or five times, no bad effects, good effects, then I can teach it. Then within two years, I have somebody presenting a case report at the symposium that says, hey, I did this thing. And then there's somebody like Jesse Tierney that presents DVTs, which I tell people not to treat at all. Certainly don't run the frequency to dissolve the blood clot because we know that it works to dissolve blood clots. And you certainly don't want a DVT to come apart in pieces. Thought experiment, Jesse Tierney, torn and broken and vitality in the vein and you have an ultrasound on day one and a D-dimer that are positive for a big long PBT. You treat in the afternoon for what, an hour, two hours, torn and broken in vitality. The next day, the ultrasound's negative and the D-dimer's negative. What's that about? That's incredible. And what it suggests is somebody that I've never heard any research on. What it suggests is that the vein has a function. So vitality in the vein is the thing. Mm -hmm. In our world, therefore, the vein must have a function that allows it to dissolve blood clots on a regular basis or sitting in a chair all day long. We'd all have DVTs all the time. I'm still processing that one. No, I agreed. Oh, wait. Is it 358? Yeah, it's getting close. Okay. When we miss a week, and thank you for being patient with my crazy schedule. So this is, again, I'm going to blame you. I am this busy because of you and what we do. So you're welcome. And I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been so much fun teaching and explaining and sharing and creating hypothesized ideas with this team of like collaborative healthcare professionals that I wouldn't ever have dreamed of being able to just text and ask questions to. It's the community that I'm the most grateful for because. And talking to this group, nine people, right. And trying to describe what the advanced is like. How do you describe the synergy that happens at the advanced I was going to say, it's like the best family reunion, but not everybody loves their family. But it's if you loved every single family member and you got to see them, that's what the advance is like to me. And then Candace Elliott has the idea to have special interest tables at lunch. So we feed you lunch three yeah. days. The advance this year for the first time is going to be three days because trying to talk that fast and leave out that much. In, and not cover the things I should cover in the advanced. I can't put any more on the core or people will actually explode. So it's going to be three days. We'll have special interest tables. I'm working out the faculty as we speak. It's the most integrated group. And if these people have an ego, it's like they leave it in a shoebox in the corner at home. Yeah. And I have to show you this. I was looking at that. I was going to say, what is the little orb beside the other orb that's over there? Beautiful. 
there is a place called spirit pieces Mm. and you send them somebody's ashes. So George was cremated and this is the one that I had. And it's, it is so George, right? His, there's a spiral of his ashes in the middle. And then there's this iridescent, almost invisible stuff on the outside. And I, this is, I've got a second one made and this is coming to the office, but for some reason I brought him upstairs and he always probably shows up here. He's been showing up for years, but isn't that amazing? That is stunning. Yeah. And I spent the last two days It finally arrived two days ago and I, it's on the counter in the kitchen and I'm sitting there eating dinner and working on my computer and there's George. And then I just got lost in it. So George will be there. (laughs) I'll put him on the back table. (laughs) So if you have, they do pets and it's not just big balls like this. There are rings. It's the most amazing thing. What's it called? Spiritpieces.com. It's beautiful. And, And it takes a teaspoon of somebody's ashes. And send you a kit and you mail it off. And these glass blowers from all over the country specialize in each different kind of design. And here's Candace Elliott. Yes, special interest group suggestions for Arizona. What would people like? Think about it. For sure, Ehlers-Danlos, for sure, fibromyalgia, for sure, sports medicine, for sure mold for sure if we had a vegas special interest table it'd be all of the tables because it's everywhere yes it's always everywhere yeah and candace has i finally have my computer back and i finally have a little bit of extra time on the weekends so i am applying candace finally for 501c3 so people can donate to support fsm research so we can pay for studies we can pay people for producing papers we can excellent pay for research we do that candace nagging does pay off <laughs> her persistence let's put it that way she's been wonderful Aww. we'll finally yeah so i had that whole one about that we started with but anyways so my last one is a kind of a shout out to all the practitioners out there it says a healer is someone who seeks to be the light that they wished they had in their darkest moments. Oh, I like that. Yes, it was funny. I was We were talking about practitioners. A lot of the good ones tend to come from very challenging histories. And so someone sent that to me and I thought, wow, a healer is someone who seeks to be the light they wish they had during their darkest moments. Yeah. And it is usually news to practitioners that 80 the statistics are that 80% of practitioners of every medical profession adult children of alcoholics or come from some sort of difficult childhood and I did an experiment twice at chiropractic college or 10 of us standing around And I said, how many of you are adult children of alcoholics? Eight of us raised our hands. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the quote, I swear I got from Charlie Novak, but he says it wasn't him. It is the job of the physician to hold the vision of the patient is healed until the patient can see it for themselves. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. But I like yours too. It's good. All right. Hi, family. Our family. Bye, family. See you guys next week. See you next week. See you. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. 
No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.